And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So often in life, tech innovation and life optimization cross paths. And when that occurs, we end up with the neat things that kind of we learn that we can't live without. And there's so many of those and so many things going on around. I figured we should probably sit down and talk about it. And before I mention or let you know who I'm going to have that conversation with today, quick reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Go to Fullscale.io to learn more. There's a link to go to fullscale.io in the show notes. So once you scroll on down and give that a click while I introduce James Wolf. And James is the founder and CEO of Alt Escape, a consumer electronics and fashion brand out of Venice Beach, California. There's also a link to altescape.tech. Uh, and by the way, just go click the link. So, cause you don't type out all to escape and all of that. James has, has been clever with the, the naming of the company. We'll talk about that and so much more, but first off, James, welcome to startup hustle. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And for, you know, for those of you that don't get to see the behind the scenes stuff, this is our third try doing this because, uh, as the founder and CEO of a technology company, I'm str- I'm fighting technology today. Um, now, James, and that you know, in the past, uh, you have fought technology as well, and it seems that you have often come out victorious and on top as the winner. So, why don't you give us a little bit about the backstory about how you uh, uh, created a baby with fashion and technology? Yeah, not a real, for sure. not a real baby, but kind of yeah. like a, a business baby. Which business is, baby, exactly. Yeah, which I don't is want another honestly, baby. Kind of, sometimes worse. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Except, yeah. except if business babies can make you money; they don't cost you money. You know, uh, tr- you know what? They right. That's maybe why I mentioned that first. Yeah, one, one's one's like one generates revenue; the other yeah, one yeah, has the potential to generate revenue anyway. You know. So yeah, yeah. so um, uh, true, uh, true. I guess you're right about that. I guess <laughs> yeah, a bad business baby can be way worse expense wise than exactly. So exactly. thank you everyone listening to how to make a baby between yeah. technology. Yeah, anyway, give us your backstory, James. What is it? Two dads. Yeah. So um, yeah. So a little backstory. So uh, I'm formally you know trained fashion uh, fashion designer. Been working in uh, apparel and fashion for 25 plus years. Started out the very lowest level. I mean, I was basically a laborer. I was cutting fabric, worked in production, worked in sales, worked in accounting, really worked in all aspects of the business, really was passionate about the design aspect of it. Went to design school at night um, and, uh, and started going in, the, in that direction and creating product. About 12 years ago, you know, um, I'm really into music. Um, I was traveling a ton, you know, visiting all the retailers and, uh, you know, back then, you know, the big problem was 
our headphones, we get like kind of like this like rat's nest, like tangled mess in our pockets. And it was really annoying, especially traveling and have all these wires everywhere. So I had this idea. I'm like, well, what about putting the the headphones and the draw cords in my hoodie? You know, I'm wearing a hoodie all the time. I'm listening to music. I'm like, what has anyone ever done that before? And I looked it up. No one had done it before. So I, I literally hacked one together um, and, I, and I showed it to a retailer and we got a, a, a 200,000 unit order from that sample. It didn't work, um, but, it, but they loved the idea. <laughs> and um, I basically went to my boss and I said, hey, listen, I go, I have this order in hand. Um, I guess I got to figure out how to make it work. I, I think I can do it. So I got on a plane, I went to China and I, I, and I figured out how to make it. Uh, I figured out how to make it. The biggest challenge was it had to be machine washable because all the earbuds were, were embedded into the garment. So fast forward four years later, we ended up selling over 12 million units of that product. And, you know, maybe some of your listeners may have seen it when they were in high school. It was really everywhere um, back then. Um, and it was, it was a big, it was a big moment. So, you know, then, then the, you know, fashion is cyclical, but technology is linear, right? So, you know, they cut the wires, things went wireless. Um, you know, the company I was with at the time wasn't, you know, really didn't have the appetite to invest in the hardware. And what I, what I learned too is, you know, developing hardware is exactly that. It's very hard. Um, and that's why a lot of people steer clear of it. So, but the idea kept me up at night. I'm like, you know, why is it that, you know, every time designers try to create tech, it doesn't work. And every time engineers try to create fashion, you don't want to wear it. But every day in our lives, these two things coexist. And they're just really kind of like, it's like patched together. It's like hacked together. And the life cycle, you know, for consumer electronics, it just sucks, you know, that you either, um, first of all, there's tons of packaging, so there's tons of waste. And then if you, you don't really engage with the brand until you either break it, lose it, or something better comes out. And I just was kind of sick of that merry-go-round. So um, I set out to create um, a, a more elevated product um, that sort of took, starting with audio, because I'm just such a, a music geek, right? Um, so basically what I did was I developed uh, a wireless audio product, um, that you can't lose. Um, cause I kept losing these AirPods, you know, and I would look at my, you know, I lost like five or six pairs on an airplane seat, one time I was mountain biking, you know, I mean, it, it was just really frustrating because they were so expensive. So I said, Hey, if I create a pair of wireless earbuds that you can actually like tether to something like the draw cords, or your hoodies, or like the, the leash on your sunglasses or on a bracelet or on a hat, um, you know, that that could be a really great way to avoid losing these things and give you the options. So I set out and, and developed this kind of uh, um, system, uh, got the patent for it, uh, you know, got, got the patent issued um, and, uh, and set out to build it. Um, and it's completely modular design. It allows you to not only uh, have ways of customizing how you wear the earbuds when you're not using them, but also you can customize the power. You can add capacity. It really kind of allows you to have a more, a, a better life cycle of the product where you don't have to, you know, if something breaks or something want to um, uh, improve on something, you can basically add to it versus having to scrap it and buy something totally new. Um, so that, that's where we're at right now. And, and we're just getting ready to launch this thing uh, this week. Well, I'm getting, I, I'll tell you what, the struggle is real. I'm on my fifth set of AirPods. Um, one I dropped off of a balcony on a 20th story hotel room 
um, where I, yeah, where I just watched it tumble down. And then, you know, I've had some people like, well, did you go pick it up on the sidewalk? No, I wasn't that lucky. It fell on top of a, like, you know, the restaurant or something oh, else. Yeah, it was yeah. gone. Yeah. yeah. It was gone. Um, and my wife, because, uh, you know, I, I'll just admit I'd had a couple drinks at that point. My wife had already gone to bed and she was extra pissed the next day when she woke up and realized that I had paired her AirPods to my phone. So I, because I wasn't going to let that stop me. Um, yeah, I've washed a couple pairs and lost another one. So yeah, yeah. The, Matt DeCourcy AirPods has a little five in a bracket around it. And you know why, Apple? Can you just not always remind me that I'm a loser? Literally. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, the struggle, the struggle's real on that. Now you mentioned, you know, there's your, 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 your new stuff that's coming out. Well, well, here's, you know, here's actually probably a better question. You mentioned this ever evolving process between, you know, fashion can come back around, but, but at the same time, fashion still has to innovate because you look at all these like, you know, different pocket designs and stuff like that. And they're trying to prevent us from being ourselves. Um, how, how do you build something that, you know, and hardware is in fact hard. How do you even keep up with what's coming down the road? Like, you know, I think all of us have experienced the frustration of buying a new something and you're like, great. Now I, you know, I just spent a thousand dollars on a phone, which still sounds crazy on some days. And now I got to go spend $300 on other crap to plug it in, keep it up with. And I mean, as a des product designer and, and, and how do you even predict that? Well, I think, you know, listen, fashion is, is primarily, I mean, it's a very evolutionary process, right? So, so trends don't just come and go overnight. There's silhouettes, key silhouettes, like the hoodie as an example, that's pretty evergreen. Um, you know, it's something that's kind of a part of almost everyone's wardrobe. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, a lot of the innovation that's happening in fashion right now is, you know, sustainability, um, you know, uh, innovation in like the, the, the fabrications, you know, different performance fabrications. Um, and then obviously a lot of it is just marketing, right? Uh, marketing and merchandising. I think on hardware, you know, um, it's, it's obviously a lot more challenging being a boutique brand. Um, you know, when you're up against these giants, you know, that have, you know, billions of dollars uh, of money in R&D and have some of the best engineers on the planet, sitting there, you know, creating some of the most innovative and cut, cutting edge tech, you know, really what, what I'm limited to is, you know, <clears throat> working on a much smaller scale and working with what's available and buying the best uh, in terms of the chipsets and what's available in the open market. So I know I'm never going to beat an Apple. I know I'm never going to beat a Google, but what I, what I can do is I can create unique form factors, you know, and having a little bit of a moat, you know, with my IP, you know, um, uh, I, I'm going out there bringing out a unique and different form factor because I tell you what I see is that Google, Apple, they're not thinking about stuff like this. They're not thinking about apparel. They're not thinking about these things. They're thinking about the technology, the operating systems, you know, the full vertical integration, you know. Um, and, and I think that, you know, what, what I'm setting out to do is by bringing a unique form factor and doing something different in the space, and really differentiating, you know, what's happening in the market because really consumer electronics has turned into a very commoditized business. Up in there, check, um, check. Can you hear me? Yeah, you paused. Okay. Do you want me to go yeah. back? Yeah, you got. Yeah, go ahead. I got to take a note of the timestamp, but yeah. Um, 
so go back yeah. to what what Apple what Apple isn't thinking about is yeah. So what Apple and Google aren't thinking about is they're not thinking about you know kind of this, and I would think it's kind of maybe like IoT adjacent, right? Is like how can these things integrate into apparel and accessories and the things that I know about in my space, and that's just not a priority. Um, not to mention that you know is, with the experience I had with the initial hoodie idea, I licensed that technology to Under Armour to Puma, to Old Navy. And I had to figure out ways of kind of merging the two supply chains because the thing that's really interesting is that fashion supply chain and hardware supply chain are two different planets. They operate completely differently. In fashion, moving a button, okay, may cost you a few hundred dollars and might cost you a week or two lead time, okay? Like moving a button on a shirt. Moving a button on a pair of earbuds can cost you a year and can cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, so it's, and even down to the manufacturers, it's very, consumer electronics is very, very planned. Capacity is planned. It's 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 very um, controlled environment in terms of how that is managed. Where on the fashion side, it's very fast, very quick turn, very reactionary. So I had to create a system that was really friendly to kind of merge these two different supply chains together. And knowing that, hey, listen, if you're going to work with a Nike or an Under Armour. You're not going to be able to use their, you're not going to be able to use your factory to make their hoodies, right? They're going to want to use their factory. So I had to create ways of making it very easy to integrate this type of hardware product into, into um, these fashion lines. And I don't think that the Googles and the Apples of the world are, are that's not on their radar. You know, um, it's just not on their radar. So I'm uh, hoping that, um, you know, by bringing this kind of unique storytelling and, and, and form factors, that we can kind of captivate, you know, the consumer. Yeah, that's got, I mean, that's got to be nerve wracking, man. That would probably drive me crazy when it comes to like the, you know, predicting what can go in there and, and do all this. And, and by the way, congratulations on picking one of the hardest uh, startups to get into. Oh, Maybe yeah. in, 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 you're in the Hall of Fame because you're doing software and hardware, which by the way, isn't uncommon on this show. But when you mix in the ever changing uh, winds and waves of fashion, um, you know, and, and, and think about that, folks, you know, things go in and out so quickly, your lead time for that, you know, you get stuck with yesterday's product. And well, <clears throat> I mean, there it's at TJ Maxx for 90% off, you know, which is probably yeah. a lot more than you made it. Now, you, you, you mentioned being in design school and, and, you know, learning about fashion and doing stuff like that. What's what are some of the things that the, that the rise into entrepreneurship have taught you about starting a business and some things that you were maybe surprised that you had to learn that, you know, you're like, wow, I never thought I'd have to figure that out, but I did. Yeah. Yeah. The list is so long. Well, first thing I learned was, uh, you know, I, I raised capital to do this, you know, so I, I did two seed rounds. Um, and the one thing, first of all, I had to learn how to do that. So that was, that was, a, that was a whole experience. But, um, you know, the, the, the biggest challenge I found was that uh, I realized that raising, I was raising on the two worst categories on the planet, uh, consumer products and hardware. No one wants to touch that stuff. So, you know, over the years, all the, you know, the pop du jour, you know, uh, things, whether it's, you know, now it's AI, it was, you know, it was crypto. And then before that, you know, it was just, it, there's, there's all these things that are trending that people are all just focusing on raising against. And I was kind of going after something really different where 
you know, a lot of investors aren't excited about it because the multiples really aren't there on exit. Like it is for a lot of SaaS and, and other, and other types of verticals, you know? So that was a big challenge for me. Um, you know, I think what would differentiate myself maybe from others is that I have so much experience and I have a lot of relationships at the retailer level too. So not only do I know how to manufacture, develop, design, and, you know, I have multiple patents. I've done multiple patents in my career, you know, also being able to make it completely vertical to actually sell it through to a major retailer um, and to scale it. And also to have the experience with direct to consumer. So that knowledge, I think, helped me have the ability to do the raise. Um, otherwise, I think that if you were to go into this a little, and obviously I think I was naive getting into this, you know, to be honest, I didn't realize how the first one I did, I, like I said, I taped it together. This thing, I had to get an engineering team. I had to like, I had actually had to build an infrastructure to build this stuff because it wasn't, it wasn't, um, ODM, which means that I don't know if any of your listeners know what that means, but that's essentially when a hardware supplier has products, um, that's that they, they make and people just change the, the color the branding on it. And, that, and that's the most stuff you see in the market in, in mobile accessories. That's what it is. You know, um, I had to create something where I actually developed something kind of from scratch. Um, and that was a, a, a heavy lift, you know? I so think, well, I think we need to define the something here. I'm say, I'm realizing that we talked about the, the, uh, the hoodie drawstrings and whatever, and then what that evolved into. And then we, we kind of skipped over the, the what, you know, if you go to the uh, uh, alt, escape and that's a-l-t-e-s-c dot tech link for that in the show notes you know right there in the banner listen charge where and you know so that the 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 corded earbuds out kind of out yep and with that you know where what did this evolve into yeah so 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 basically you know when i when i started this this project you know i kind of did like the classic sort of amateur hour mistake where i took like every idea i ever had and tried to jam it into one product mm. right um and then as i learned uh, through the development i had to do a couple of pivots um to basically uh you know simplify it because it was too complicated because you know one, one thing i would say is that you know when you when you're trying to do something that is a little different you take a few risks. First risk is finding someone to make the thing, right? Yeah. If you can find someone to make it, it's going to be too expensive. And if you can afford it and you can find someone to make, then you have the challenge of how do you communicate it to the consumer that's used to a very intuitive product. And now you're doing something that maybe may be considered counterintuitive, right? So that's what, essentially what we did. So, you know, and I actually, I have one here. You may not be able to see it, but, you know, obviously taking a very, very small, high quality wireless audio product that does everything you'd expect for a pair of $100 um, earbuds, right? That are wireless. Pause, play, AI assistant, microphone, high quality sound, et cetera. The thing that we did that was unique was that we created this, this lanyard, right? Um, where the earbuds can connect to. And this is kind of part of our IP where you can basically wear this, you know, around your neck or your wrist, right? Um, and it can tether them if you want, right. From, from dropping them. And then the power system is all modular. So the charging case can also have multiple batteries. So you can customize. Mm. The battery. So if you were gone, you know, I was in, I was in China for 10 days. I didn't charge them once. 
you know, I had enough power. I didn't have to plug it into the wall to charge it. I had enough power with me that I didn't have to charge it the entire time. Um, you know, so for someone who's off the grid, someone who's camping, you know, um, uh, or just or just lazy, honestly, don't want to plug them in. It's a great way of having that that customization. So, so really, well, I don't I don't like plugging my stuff into all this like everything. You know, like I mean, if you think about it, when you plug your phone in or whatever to charge to your laptop or wherever, like that's the same cord, the same device that sends yep. all your vital stuff somewhere. And there's been, you know, a lot of a lot of reports and and you know traveler kind of things like hey don't just plug your phone into anything oh, yeah, everywhere. Sure. and i've 100%. always been i've always been a little paranoid about that and so you know uh, i think you're aware i travel to the philippines three or four times yep. a year which is this excruciatingly long flight and, yep. and and travel and everything and so you know i'm always lugging around that those power banks are heavy dude yeah for you know, sure you know you're dragging them around and they're, they're awkward and you know what you just showed and- me yeah, what you just showed me was like a Lego set, essentially. Yeah, and I, and I know we're here, we're here doing show and tell on an audio show. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, but, I realized uh, that when I was doing it, but uh, yeah, yeah, but that's okay. I'm here to explain stuff. I'm here to ask the questions that that uh, everyone listening hopefully is thinking, and, and I'm not hopefully not dumbing it down too much. But I mean, you showed me an earbud that's comparable in size yeah. to what most wireless earbuds were. And then the the actual charging the power bank was much smaller, uh, much more manageable. I liked that it had a little loop on it, so I could connect a few of them. Yep. And and then you had you know a magnet essentially. Yeah. So like maybe you need five of them. Put them all together. Yeah. I thought that was yeah, pretty absolutely. clever. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then, you know, then we brought back the hoodie IP where you can take the same earbuds. You can literally attach them to the end of your draw cords, your hoodies. We have a sunglass leash that we're releasing. So we're going to create this whole sort of um, ecosystem of accessories that are going to be compatible mm-hmm. with our hardware. Um, and then, you know, we have a new, and we also have new hardware innovations that we're going to be launching um, the beginning of next year, which would be the same concept, but with, with uh, wireless charging. So, um, so really we want to kind of create these products that, Basically, you know, our, our saying is connecting tech to life. You know, how can we yeah. kind of improve the product life cycle? How can we improve, you know, how it's integrated into our into our lives, right? Um, and how can we kind of, um, you know, uh, improve even some of the environmental uh, impacts of of the product? You know, um, a lot of the the AirPods are unrecyclable, right? Um, so when we designed our product, we partnered with a company called Homeboy Recycling here in Los Angeles. Um, that does, they recycle e-waste. It's actually a big company. They, they, um, they uh, give jobs to ex-gang members here in Los Angeles. It's really a great, great organization. Check it out. You see it on our website. We partnered with them to learn about, hey, how can we make this product so it's easier to be recycled? How to get the batteries out? Um, and then we also did a recycling program where when you buy our product, you can recycle your old e-waste for free. So kind of creating this one in and one out product. So we're just constantly trying to think of ways of like, how can we just make this better? Because honestly, the way it is today, I, I don't, I don't like it. You know, uh, I, I'm just, there's so much junk out there. Yep. Um, and there's like, it's like, it, if you look at the price range of this product category, it goes from like a thousand dollars to 10. I mean, like, so you're never going to beat on price. You know, that's why I'm focusing on innovation and in product innovation and in form factor, and really kind of like, creating awareness and storytelling, you know, um, and, and, and trying to solve a problem that we have in our everyday lives. And that's kind of the angle we're going out at um, and really focusing on a more boutique strategy 
versus a mass strategy, you know, which I think also kind of changes, you know, margin structure and all that stuff. You know, speaking of awareness, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. But if you're not aware, finding expert software developers does not have to be difficult, especially when you go to fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. You can use Fullscale's platform to help you define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. There's a link to that and a link to James's business in the show notes. Scroll on down and give those a click. Let's talk about it. Now, when it comes to awareness, you know, for those of you listening, James and I were introduced to each other uh, by a guy named Joel Cummins and Joel's uh, a co-author of a book with me and, and, a, and a rock star. We share the, 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 the uh, you know, the, the passion for music together. And we did a call several months ago. And I, I remember one of the, the notes I had from the call was, I had written down customer awareness slash education. Um, folks, if you're listening and you're trying to launch a product, whether it's software or hardware or fashion or any of it, if the world has no clue that it might exist, you've got an uphill climb getting that word out there. Cause there's all this, think about all the stuff. Oh, I lost my earbuds again, man. There's always a better lanyard for that. Or man, I'm tired of carrying around these power banks. And then, so the thing is, first of all, you get to be aware that something is even a thing. Then you got to be aware that something is a thing at a moment you're ready to buy the thing. And then you got to have a place to buy it. And the internet solves a lot of that. But, you know, there's like this, just like a gazillion, like, I, I feel like your stuff would sell really well, well in airports. Yeah. How do we get it in there? You know, and going through all that, what kind of, what kind of overall... Oh man, dreams and nightmares have occurred with your customer awareness journey. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I mean, we're, you know, we're just about to embark on that. And I would say, you know, we talked about, you said, hey, what are some of the things, like some of the, some of the challenges, right? And we said earlier, you know, there's things that you know you don't know, and there's things yeah. that you don't know you don't know. Um, so one of the biggest challenges, and if I were to give advice to anyone who would want to try to do this, something like this, I would say that, you really have to be willing to pivot and you have to really be willing to boil your idea down um, because really, you know, through a direct to consumer strategy, um, it's very noisy out there. I mean, how many ads do we get through our, through our feeds a day? I mean, hundreds, thousands. I mean, we get so many ads um, now because of the privacy settings, you know, on a lot of the phones, you can't really get super, um, uh, you can't really target that, you know, you can't really, can't really bring your wedge super tight. It's more broader. Um, you, and, you have a product that everybody kind of uses in some roundabout yeah, way. Yeah, so that, exactly. makes, that makes the target, targeting's a nightmare. Marketing's a nightmare because anyone can buy it. Like I'm selling software to software company founders and CTOs, which is still a pretty big audience, but it doesn't have a seventh digit on it. Yeah, a hundred percent. So, I mean, I think they're, you know, the bright side of that is that if you crack the code, you know, the scale, the scalability is great, but the question is, how do you cut through the noise? So yeah. you know, that was something that we really had to do. So really there was kind of like, you know, it really comes down to the content and the storytelling, which has to be broken down into little bite-sized pieces of information that you hope they draw people in. So our first campaign that we did, 
you know, was very uh, visceral, very vibrant, really. And that was really kind of designed to bring you in. Be like, whoa, what is this? I want to check this out. Then we had to do another another suite of content on, on life use, you know, going for a run, riding the bike, you know, a whole nother category of content. And then, and then, you know, this is where the art and science meets, creating these ad sets and these customer segments that we had to really kind of, we're doing A-B testing, you know, we're trying to figure out like, hey, what is that sweet spot where we're getting the conversion, you know? And while we're doing that on direct to consumer, which, you know, obviously is the highest margin, we're having conversation with retailers because of my relationship with the buyers, having relationships with re- a conversation with retailers and how we can scale this. And we're having conversations with companies that, you know, are in totally different, um, you know, uh, uh, markets like construction, hunting and fishing, you know, that could basically use this technology. And that's why the patents were so important. I wouldn't recommend anyone to get a patent unless you're planning on licensing it. Because first of all, it's very difficult to get them. They are very expensive, takes a very, very long time. Um, and, uh, but if you have it to license, to license your technology or license your product, your IP, it's almost critical that you have some sort of moat. Um, and, and a patent is really the way to do that. So, um, so that's, let, let me define, let me define moat for people real quick. Oh, no, no. Once again, that's part of why I'm here. So a moat. If you look at, at, at any company, okay, so you can look at Google, which is considered to have a very wide moat, which means there's a lot of distance that a competitor has to travel across to even get to the castle, much less attack it. So um, products similar to yours without the niche spin on it can actually have no moat in some regards. You mentioned the $10 earbuds. Their only moat is probably about a hairline wide, and that's price, right? And um, now with your stuff, though, because of a different level of compatibility or stackability or even fashion fashionability, it's fashionability a word? I think it is. It is now. But, but with that, you can create that moat. So at the time, let's go back to the 12 million unit drawstrings. You were the only one that had that. Yeah, but but with that, any consumer product or anything like that, anything fashion related, uh, that mode is is shrinking now. In my book, Million Dollar Bedroom, I have a, a section in it that talks about this, and that's that anytime you're successful with anything, it doesn't matter what product or service it is. Once it gets hot for you, you have sent up a signal flare to the rest of the world that says, "Do this." I was at. Uh, a department store yesterday and I was walking through the shoe section and I noticed that there was like 10 different kinds of slides, like for, you know, like flip-flops that all looked like the Yeezy ones that came out like a year and a half ago that were sold out everywhere for years. That's an example of the moat being gone. Did they look exactly like them? No, but you could see where the fashion had influenced it. So like these are tough things, both with hardware and fashion, because someone else is going to come along and start doing that as well. Have you had an issue with that? Did someone end up making drawstring? Oh, yeah. Well, actually, our actually our uh, factory at the time, uh, they actually took our IP we had a um, we actually had one of our uh, licensees um, who we licensed the technology to um, their manufacturer um, actually took our product 
removed our logos, found another patent that was similar, did a deal. Um, and yeah, and we, we went into litigation. Now we won. We were triumphant. So, you know, I actually have case law on the, on the hoodie IP. So that's a very strong, very strong IP. Um, but yeah, no, we had those problems. And those problems come when you're successful. Yeah. You know, they don't come when you're just starting out. No one's going to care. Um, but when it starts becoming successful, that's when you have those risks. Um, and that's why I think it's so important to really establish yourself, you know, um, across, you know, retail, um, just the market in general, um, you know, and really kind of establish yourself as the original and then to keep innovating and to keep evolving. You know, not only are our relationships with retailers, but also with some of the biggest brands in the world, you know. So eventually, as we show proof of concept here, we want to scale and do some of those partnerships um, and, and really kind of making ourselves, keep ourselves in that position as the original of this concept, you know. But yeah, those are all risks that you take um, and you can't let them keep you from doing it because you'll never do anything, honestly. I mean, like... Fashion is, is very influenced by itself. And I think that, you know, make it, if you're, a, if you're a slide manufacturer, which is all done with injection molding, right? You see a hot silhouette, like Skechers does this all the time, right? You basically just come up with your version of that silhouette, you know, that <laughs> shape, and you make a new mold and then you're in the business, you know, and you're just kind of, you're just chasing, you're drafting, you're drafting and it's legal to do that, you know? Um, you know, it's not, I don't, I don't think it's something I, I would personally be proud of, but if you're making hundreds of millions of dollars, you get over it real quick, you know? So I think <clears> that's <throat> a very common um, part of the space. I would say this, um, from my experience of this product, it's going to be very hard for a fashion company to do what I'm doing because they're just not wired that way. I'm no pun intended. They're just not, they're just not meant, they just don't work that way. They don't understand this business. They, they don't want to make the investment. They're not there. Now a tech company could do it, but they don't understand the fashion supply chain. So there, I'm not saying it's impossible, but there's a reason why it hasn't been done. And that was something that I found was really a core part of the issue is that these two different, um, you know, verticals are just on different planets. You know, like, they like to say imitation is the greatest form of flattery. I know a lot of entrepreneurs that would not call it flattery. Um, just cause, you know, like you said, you get these, these hot ideas and these things that are going on and, um, you know, intellectual property control is, is a, a real, uh, is a real bear. And I think we had talked about that when we did our original call. And I asked if you had, had had any issues with that, cause man, James, at this point, I, I swear I've talked to what feels like dozens of people that have had that manufacture something. Next thing you know, that same place in China or Bangladesh or wherever yep. it's making it is making it for all the competitors too with a very slight iteration you're sitting there going, what? Yeah. And that's, that, that's, uh, I think that's where I may have confessed. I'm like, you're, you're braver than I am to deal with all that. Cause I don't think I would have probably got on a plane and started fighting people. And I'd probably be another, another reason why, Another reason why I was, you don't want to be in Chinese jail. That would be not Yeah, true. That's, that's why I say that. I kind of like looked (laughs) off and I saw like, the next 40 years of hard labor. And I was like, I think, you know, you're hundred percent right. And again, that was another reason why it was very hard to raise on this, on this project because they're yeah. like, well, 
well, when you, what happens when you get knocked off, you know? Because um, you don't have recourse, people. That's why it matters. And that's yeah. the tough part. And like, yeah, did you actually collect any money from the from the suit that you won? Uh, well, no. We, we, essentially, we didn't collect money, but we it, it, was, it was settled. Uh, you know, we, we ended up settling uh, eventually. But um, what we did do is we got the other IP that the other company licensed are bought from this other inventor that was that was similar to what we were doing. So now we have that patent as well. So and it made our IP even stronger. So I think yeah. that was probably the big takeaway um, from that whole situation. Um, I would say this too. Listen, these are these are all risks and these are all challenges to have. Um, and I think that kind of comes with the the territory where, where you're kind of embark on on a project like this. I think there's some things you know. And again, if if anyone was asking for advice, what I would say there are a few things you can do. One is find a really great supplier. Okay. There is thousands of, you know, tens of thousands of suppliers in, in, in different countries. Most of them are terrible. Okay. So having a really great supplier, um, you know, is, is, is huge going there and tell just, the difference in, in an initial kind of exchange. So like, if you're going on like Alibaba and you're just kind of surfing the web and trying to find a supplier, most of the suppliers, you know, are probably not going to be, you know, trustworthy, you know, so what, you know, partnering with an agent or partnering with someone, you know, on the, on, in the Western world, you know, that, that is, that it has competency in the space is a really great step because you're kind of leveraging their relationship with the factories because they probably have other business with the factories, So they're a little bit more meaningful to the factory, right? Um, the other thing too, is really investing in a strong vendor agreement, um, you know, both with the agent and with the factory direct, if you can, sometimes agents don't let you have access to the factory direct, but if they do having a strong vendor agreement is really important. And that kind of just sort of, sort of sets up sort of like, what are some of the expectations? What are the recourse, you know, and how do we kind of resolve some of these problems that could happen in the future? And then the third thing is go visit your factory. Go physically in there, break bread. You know, I mean, I just went to China the first time since 2019, pre-pandemic, you know, um, and, you know, sat there, had dinner, learned about how the stuff was made. I mean, I went through the, the factory and learned, asked questions and learned. And, and that was really gave a lot of ideas like, oh, that's why we couldn't do that. Or, oh, this is a great thing that we can do and have that rapport with the, with the factory. And that really is means a lot because now you're not just a, a WeChat, you know, now you're actually a human being. You, 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 you ate dinner with them, you drank with them, you know, I mean, like that's what they, that's what they want, you know, and building that rapport. Um, I think and, that's what everybody wants on some levels. Like that's yeah. why I go to the Philippines three or four times a year, you know, yeah, and so good. some of that is just to be able to look at the 300 plus people that do so much for our company every day and, and shake their hand in, in their, at their place, which Absolutely. is our place. Sure. But with that, you know, that's that, that effort. And, you know, I mean, I, I am a godfather to a couple different uh, employees, children at this point and oh, so God. much of that, but it's a meaningful thing and it creates a sense of understanding and trust that I think gets lost in our zoom culture that has developed over this last five years because yes, dude, it is way easier for me to do a zoom with you than it is to travel 9,000 miles. Yeah. 
but there's a mean, there's, there's just something that that's different that happens there. And, you know, for me and, and the Philippines, it's understanding the culture, understanding the mentality, understanding the, the pros and cons that our employees see with in life. And yep. we've structured our entire business around that. And, you know, in 2022, we had a 93% employee retention rate in the year that the Wall Street Journal called the year of the resignation all year. But that's how you do it. And like you mentioned, like you, you want to find quality relationships. I mean, you can tell me all kinds of shit on the phone, but there's something about having you right in front of me that gives me a much better sense of all of it. I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying it's supernatural, dude. I think that we all kind of get that. Like yeah. this feels shady. And and also keep in mind, like what's easier to do fake something and then, sh- Hey, look, here's our factory. Is that really your factory? Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of factory footage in a lot of places and probably show you a lot of stuff. And you know, some, there's a lot of stuff out there that is legitimately vapor. Yep. So yep. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's also yeah. scary when you're wiring hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh yeah, yeah. So, I mean, these are I get these scared are, when I'm doing that here, and I want to build a deck on the back of my house. Yeah. And it's you know half of the money or something. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, and I think too, you know, um, you know, just also for the listeners, like I went through like four or five different factories before I landed mm-hmm. on my factory. So I mean, like this this project is I've been working on this project for eight years. You know, I mean, eight years um, of literally burning the midnight oil, building this thing. Um, I, I burned through lots of factories. I thought I could use the factory's engineering team. That didn't work because they, they want they want to push people into ODM. They want to push into something off the shelf that they can just swap a logo on. Once you start going beyond that, it's very, very difficult and very expensive. Um, again, maybe a little naive, um, but, you know, this is the one thing, you know, I've been doing this a long time. You know, I, I've sold billions of dollars of product to retail, you know, in my career, created, developed, designed, sold in, you know, what gets me excited is innovation. What gets me excited is doing something different. Um, that, that's really what gets, that's really what keeps me up at night. That's what wakes me up every morning. You know, that's the stuff that I want to do. And, you know, to do that, you got to take risks. And to do that, you have to really, like I said, boil it down and get down to the essence of the idea. And like, and like you said, what problem are you solving, right? How are you bringing value to somebody, right? Like, is it, is it sticky? Is it something that people see that and go, oh my God, I want to have that, you know? Like you need some of those components to be successful, to capture the imagination and the attention of people because you have about 0.25 seconds of someone's attention. It might be not even that much, maybe 0.10, right? I mean, you don't have a lot of time and you really got to kind of smack them over the head and be like, this is cool. Check it out um, and get them to stop. And, and that's very, very difficult to do. And that's kind of where we're at right now. We're just in the, just about to, um, you know, to, to launch this, this brand. Um, and uh, that's been a big, a big, I would say that would be the one thing that I've learned the most or big, big learning experience for me is really been able to like let go of the ego let go of the big dream idea and say, for us to make it to the next milestone, which is proof of concept, we got to sell earbuds. So how the hell are we going to do that without compromising our, you know, our, our, uh, you know, uh, our core, um, our core foundation, you know, uh, how do we do that? 
and and we got to get that done. So that's kind of been that, like I said, the art and the science. Uh, you know, if you listen to the show regularly, regularly, you know, I love baseball and you don't get to score until you get to the first base. You go yep. second, you go third, you go fourth. That path is different for all of us. Kind of like the path to hiring software engineers, testers, and leaders, which full scale can certainly help you with. We have the people, the platform, and the processes to help you build and manage a team of experts. Go to fullscale.io and all you need to do is answer a couple questions and let our platform match you up with our fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders. At full scale, we specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you you listen uh learn more when you go to fullscale.io and you can listen to james earbuds if you go to alt escape that's a-l-t-e-s-c dot tech there's a link for that in the show notes too now with that you know with all this james it's time for the founders freestyle it's how i end my shows when i get to chat with the founder and i'm going to give you the microphone for your freestyle now look you can sing you can dance you can recite poetry i think maybe we may enjoy it more if you went over some of the highlights of what we talked about today and then i'll take a turn and then we'll we'll and i'm going to head down to the store and try to get my pre-order in for your stuff yeah no for sure well we'll take care of you matt don't worry we'll get we'll get, we'll get you hooked up you know a guy so it's all good no i, I would say listen i really appreciate the time today uh, I think that, you know, uh, if, if anything to your listeners, anyone who does want to embark on trying to do a consumer product or a hardware product, you know, maybe listen to some of the things that, that I had said, because I wish that I had someone that said those things to me when, before I started this project. Um, and, and I think that, you know, listen, at the end of the day, you know, what keeps us going is following our dreams and our passions. Um, and, you know, when you have a really good idea, sometimes people are going to hate it. Um, and you can't oh, yeah. let that discourage you. Um, but at the same time, you have to listen, you know. Um, and, and I think that, you know, that's where even the pitch is great. Because when you're pitching something, you're hearing everyone wants to hate things. So listen to the haters. Take a step back and see, hey, is there a component of that that's actually credible that I believe in and apply it? And it helps you on your next pitch and it helps you with your product. Um, so I say, don't get discouraged, follow your dreams, but definitely listen. Yeah, when, when you're doing that listening, listen to the echo. And, you know, if you've got a bunch of people, you know, I've talked to a lot of folks and, you know, they get, they've done, you know, 10 or 12 pitch meetings with potential investors and they'll be like, yeah, and they're all saying blah, 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 and fuck that. And I'm like, dude, you need to listen because if they're all saying it, there might be something there. What you need to avoid is the one-off stuff. And yeah. I will tell you right now that all of the biggest money makers in the history of me as an entrepreneur, I can look back at someone, if not multiple people that were like, dude, how are you ever going to make any money doing you know, like it's a thing. And some people are just wired like that. That's why they're not entrepreneurs because entrepreneurs don't have this mentality. Uh, there's a couple things that, well, one of the things that you said that I wanted to go back and, and mention to everyone is, you know, James mentions earlier, he says, he talks a lot about boiling down your idea and you don't have, look, uh, if you want to get something to market, you can't add 10 million features to it and keep waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting 
sometimes there's only, you know, there's usually just a couple things that make people buy something or find it invaluable. Focus on those things, focus on what they are. And, you know, I think I've gained a strong appreciation for that as I've gotten older is, you know, like you can have these really singular products. Like there's a restaurant here in Kansas city that sells nothing but chicken fingers Chicken fingers and French fries. And guess what? They are the best chicken fingers I've ever had in my life. And the fries are okay. Yeah. You know, but with that, you know, but they're killing it. I mean, there is a line outside the door. It's the same idea as a coffee shop. Like Starbucks is way out of line if they want to start selling fried chicken and making it there in the store. Sometimes just because they have a market for it or just because you have an idea, something could be good. Um, you know, it doesn't mean you need to do it. And, and really in the end, it, the more features and the more bloat you add to whatever it is that you're building, the prop, the, the probability is that you're not going to be world-class at eight different things. And a collection of average stuff equals a very average product, if it even makes it that far. So we're in this, in this, this, this highly specified world, you know, we had a, I think one of the better technology examples was Linktree. We had their CTO on. If you're not familiar with Linktree, that's the link that people put in Instagram and other places that essentially just is a little directory that it goes to. Talk about a simple product. Eight bucks a month. They've got tens of millions of users. It's a huge, it's a billion dollar company now. And just focused on one simple thing. And, you know, well, I don't want to say simple because none of the, a lot of this stuff appears simple in the beginning. That's the last thing I want to say is it, you know, you, you alluded to kind of the entrepreneur way of kind of just getting into certain businesses. Be careful about what you're getting yourself into because like you think of all the things that James went through from manufacturing to timing, to funding, to, you know, a lot of stuff. And if you haven't traveled around the world, I'll tell you right now that the double XL t-shirt that I'm wearing right now is not a double XL t-shirt in Asia. It's like a Forex, dude. Yeah. I mean, it is like, and so some of that, you know, these, and that's where getting your, your own boots on the ground, touch it, feel it, wear it, try it, rip it, wash it, you know, like a lot of these things and, and see what happens. Because if you're not careful about this, and this is the world of tangible things, like software platforms now can be updated or repository sends something up line and boom. Now, you know, like that's been, that's one of the harder parts of hardware. And, you know, we're doing a little better with, uh, you know, over the air updates. My car does that. Yep. Uh, gosh, if I had had that on the last three cars I sold before I bought a Tesla, I might still be driving some of them because they weren't ever up. To, they eventually something just kind of got goofy in it and got weird. And, and that can be a real challenge. Uh, selling hardware is hard. Yep. And it's that simple. So, well, James, congratulations in, in making it into the newly formed Startup Hustle Hall of Fame for most difficult stuff to pull <laughs> off. Um, I really did try to think about it. I'm like, and that's an exponential scoring system. So you got three on that. So oh, great. Yeah, you're to the third power, hardware, software, and fashion. Um, all are very daunting to get into. I know you're going to be successful with this. You have seen winning before. Uh, folks, if you're listening, you know you've lost. Hey, 
what's cheaper going and getting uh, three sets of earbuds from James or losing the AirPods that are in your pocket right now. Think of it as like a hedge fund kind of thing. So go down, click that link and place an order. This stuff's going to be ready to go by the time this episode comes out. James, thank you so much. I appreciate it and all the best. Yeah, thanks, Matt. I really appreciate the conversation. A lot of fun. Thanks so much. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. Like we do it.